you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card if you haven't done so already. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. From Vietnam to Cuba, from Uganda to America, in cultures and countries all over the globe, the birth of Jesus Christ is the most celebrated event on planet Earth. Theologians and Bible scholars refer to the birth of Jesus Christ as the incarnation. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, phenomenal book if you've never read it, he writes about the incarnation and listen to what he says. The beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on a human nature without the loss of his deity. So that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. The incarnation is the universe-sundering, history-altering, life-transforming, paradigm-shattering event of history. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is filled with wonder and mystery. If you ever meet anyone who tells you they have it all figured out, they understand all the implications of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, here's what I would recommend you do. Run. The reality of the incarnation of Jesus as we read it in Scripture is designed to be mysterious. It is designed to be glorious. It is designed to be incomprehensible in our human mind. Yet it is something that we can worship. The gospel writers each began their gospel narrative differently with the account of Jesus' coming into the world. But John's is maybe, maybe the most unique. John writes his gospel and he opens his gospel as someone who is filled with the wonder of the mystery of the incarnation. John introduces us to someone called the word. It's a term that was common in culture. The Greeks used the term the word to describe the rational governing principle of the universe. The Jews used this phrase the word to describe and refer to God himself. If you got your Bible, open it to John chapter 1, my favorite passage of scripture <coughs> that describes the incarnation of Jesus Christ is John chapter 1. I want to read it for you. We're going to read the first three verses and then skip down to verse 14 where John picks up this idea again. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him has not anything, was not anything made that was made. Then skip down to verse 14 as we're continuing to deduce who this one is called the Word. Verse 14 makes it very clear. And the Word, this one who was with God, this one who was God, this one who created all things... And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Now remember where we started. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now it says the Word became flesh, became human, and this God, this eternal one, dwelt among us. And John says, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is telling us about the person of Jesus. John is revealing to us truth about the person of Jesus and Jesus' coming into the world, what scholars and theologians call the incarnation. And out of those verses that I've just read for you, I want to share with you five things about Jesus, five truths about Jesus that are the reason why in cultures and countries all over the world this month, we are celebrating. Listen, I love Christmas like the next guy. I love presents. I love trees. I love the music. I love the food. I love getting together. I like the parties. I love it all, man. There's some people that get so spiritual, they think you can't do any of that stuff. Listen, I don't like being around those people. I like all that stuff, but I'm just telling you, there's something much bigger than all that that we are celebrating this month. We are celebrating the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I want to give you five truths about who Jesus is that help us understand why we celebrate and kind of calibrate our hearts as we walk through this season. Here's the first one. Jesus is eternal. Look how this began. Verse 1 of John 1 says, In the beginning. Read it out loud with me. In the beginning was the what? Here's what that means. If the word is Jesus, and that's what we understand this to be, what John is saying is when the beginning began, Jesus already was. There's enough Bible doctrine in that simple phrase of Scripture to keep us in a constant sense of wonder and amazement at the person of Jesus for an entire lifetime. In the beginning was 
the word. Now, John opens his gospel with a phrase that was very familiar to his audience. Look at the first three words, in the beginning. Does that sound vaguely familiar to the start of any other book of the Bible? What other book of the Bible starts like that? Genesis, right? Genesis 1.1. Genesis describes the beginning of beginnings. In Genesis 1.1, look what the Bible says. In the beginning, say it out loud, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a New Testament, or excuse me, there, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. The New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, but there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. If you were to look at the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the Greek translation of the New Testament, these three words in both of them are identical. It's the exact same words, and yet the author is using them very differently. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When that was written in Genesis 1-1, it is designed to point us forward. Telling us about how the beginning began. In the beginning, look at this, here's what happened. And it points us forward into the stream of human history. Describing the creation of everything you and I can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. But John uses this phrase very differently. John doesn't use this phrase to point us forward in human history. John uses this phrase to point us backwards into eternity. Genesis 1-1 says, here's how the beginning began. John 1-1 says, here's what was before the beginning began. In the beginning... God created. In the beginning was the Word. Which means before the first second ever expired off of time's clock, before the first ray of sunlight ever broke across the horizon, before the first bird ever sung from a treetop, when there was no earth, no galaxy, no sun, no ocean, no human race, no nothing, there was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Listen to the way Paul writes about it in Colossians. I'm going to show it to you in the Amplified Bible because it, it just expounds the grammar of the Greek language. Listen to what he says. And he, Jesus himself, existed before all things. That little phrase, all, that little word, all, it's one word in the Greek language. It means all, the whole, and all, every individual part. Meaning this, before there was anything, there was Jesus. John MacArthur writes about this in his commentary on John 1. Listen to what he said. Jesus Christ was already in existence when the heavens and the earth were created. Thus, he, regardless of what any religious system in our city or any other may tell us, he is not a created being, but existed from all eternity. The word did not begin to be, but at that point at which all else began to be, he already was. In the beginning, place it where you may. Now, that's important 
Because we have some debates as Christians, right? There's some stuff that you have to believe to be a Christian. But there's some other stuff that as Christians we can have different opinions on. And varied, different, different Christians have varied opinions about when the world began. Some Christians, like me, I'm in this category, believe in a young earth. That God's creation account happened about 10,000 years ago. There are other Christians who believe that the earth is millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years old. Now, I'm not here to settle that debate. Here's the, here's the reality. None of us were there. Like we don't know, right? When we get to heaven, you can get in line, ask God that question, right? We can ask him how old it is. We simply do not know. But here's what John is saying. Put it wherever you want to. 10,000 years ago, 10 million years ago, 10 zillion years ago. Place it where you may. Look what he says. The word already existed. In other words, the word is before time eternal. I looked up the definition of the word eternal today. Put it up here on the screen. It's an adjective, meaning it describes a noun. It describes a person, place, or thing. In this instance, it's describing the person of Jesus. Here's what the word eternal means. Lasting or existing forever. Now, that part of the definition, we can sort of get our mind around because we all hope because of Jesus, that's going to be us. Amen? We're going to last or exist forever. We're going to live forever because of Jesus. But here's the part of the definition we struggle with. Without end or what? I can wrap my mind around something with no end. But no beginning? No beginning? There's never been a time when Jesus was not. Everything about him is eternal. For example, his position in the Trinity is eternal. Let me show it to you, John 17, 5. The Bible says, Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you. What? Before the world existed. His position in the Trinity is not something he attained to here on earth. Before the world existed, Jesus was eternally a part of the Trinity. The redemptive mission of God, the redemptive mission of Jesus is eternal. Revelation chapter 13 describes him as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Here's what that means. The cross was no ambulance sent to an accident. The cross was the eternal, redemptive plan of a sovereign God. Not only that, listen, get this. His love for you and me is eternal. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, say it out loud. Before what? <laughs> you think you can perform your way out of the love of God? Let me let you in on a secret. You didn't perform your way into the love of God. God set his heart on you before the world even existed. Jesus is eternal. Number two, Jesus is the eternal God. He's the eternal God. 
Go back to the text. In the beginning was the Word. Here's the second phrase. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This idea of Jesus being the eternal God is significant. Why is that? Because many world religions would give Jesus a place of prominence. Many world religions would give Jesus a place of of honor. For example, Islam gives Jesus a place of prominence. Islam says that Jesus is a major prophet, one of the five major prophets of Islam. Hinduism would give Jesus a place of great honor and say Jesus is one of the great teachers to ever walk the face of this earth. Mormonism here in our own city and in the western United States would give Jesus a place of prominence saying that Jesus was a good man who ultimately became God. But I'm telling you the Bible tells a very different story. The Bible does not say that Jesus is a prophet. The Bible does not say that Jesus is just a teacher. The Bible does not say that Jesus is a man who became God. The Bible says Jesus always has been and he always will be God. Two important phrases John uses. The first one says this, the word was with God. It's an important phrase in the Greek language. It's the words pros, ton, theon which literally means face to face with God. Has deep implications in the context in which it was written. Let me share them with you. Number one, speaks to his personality. You see, the word was not in God, but with God. Revealing the mystery of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son... God the Holy Spirit, one God we believe in, but three distinct personalities. You say, explain that. I just did. That's as good as I can do. But the Bible doesn't here say the word was in God. The Bible said the word was with God, face-to-face with God, meaning a distinct personality separate from yet equal to the Father. Secondly, it speaks to equality. Say, what do you mean by that? In Greek culture, as is true in all honor cultures, when you approach someone of higher rank or class, you always lower yourself in their presence. I've been in honor cultures around the world. I've I've walked into the, the hut of tribal chiefs in villages and places and parts of the world, and I've been told when you enter there, you don't look them face to face because if you look them face to face, it's a declaration that you see yourself as equal to them, so you always lower yourself and make sure that you're lower than them. But the Bible says the Word was with God. He was face to face with God. Declaring an equality with God, meaning the word was not less than God. He was with God. But it also speaks to an intimacy. Think about it. Face to face. For all eternity, Jesus has been face to face. With the Father equal to but separate from the Father and the Spirit enjoying personal, intimate oneness and fellowship. The Word was with God. 
R.C.H. Linsky said it this way, the word then is not an attribute inhering in God or a power emanating from God, but a person in the presence of God and turned in loving inseparable communion toward God and God equally turned toward him. The word was with God, but then this phrase, the word was God. It's that simple truth that is the distinct difference between true Christianity and all other false gospels. For this reason, this doctrine has been the most attacked throughout history. Here's the doctrine that separates true Christianity from all other. There is only one God and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Many accept Jesus as a teacher. Many accept him as a great, a great moral example, but they deny the fact that he is God. But John doesn't leave us that option. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face to face with God, equal to God. But then he said, the Word was God. And the Bible tells us in another book, in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning he always has been and he always will be God. Just in case we're not totally clear on what John is saying. In verse 1, he writes verses 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Here's the third thing that tells us about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal God who created all things. Wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying that Jesus is the same God... In Genesis 1-1, when the Bible said, in the beginning, God created the... Are you telling me that God is Jesus? Listen, that's not what I'm saying. That's what John's saying. And not only is it what John said, it's what Paul said. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. For by him, and just in case you're not clear on who the him is... If you read back to verse 13, you can do it later on your own. Verse 13 identifies the him in this paragraph as his, God's beloved son, the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says, by him, say the next word out loud. Say it again. Now, we have all things, but in the Greek language, all things is one word. It's the Greek word pos. It means all the whole. I mean. The big picture, the universe, the galaxy, but it also means all, every individual part. Meaning from the largest thing you can fathom in the galaxy and the universe to the smallest component of the cells of your body. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, say it out loud, all things hold together. 
You ever wonder why this universe doesn't just go spiraling off into chaos? Let me tell you why. The same one who created it is the same one who's holding it all together, and his name is Jesus. There's a lot of talk today about the sustainability of this planet. And hear me clearly. We need to be good stewards. You and I as Christians should lead in the charge of being good stewards of what's been entrusted to us. We need to use common sense. But listen to me carefully. Jesus is not in heaven wringing his hands because I drink from a straw. He is not only the creator, he is the sustainer, and he's holding it all in place, and we can trust him. Listen, we get all worried and all bothered about things that really don't matter because Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is God. Jesus always has been God. He always will be God, and he's holding it all together. Listen, from the glory and wonder of the galaxies to the grains of sand at the bottom of the ocean, Jesus created it all. And after clearly building this case, John reveals something marvelous that is the very essence of why this week people all over the world are celebrating. It's verse 14. Listen to it. And the Word. The eternal God who created us, and the Word became flesh. He became one of us. He became human. And he dwelt. He moved in to the neighborhood and lived life. The creator became a part of his creation. Max Licato wrote a book called God Came Near. Listen to the way he describes the incarnation in his book. Listen to what he said. It all happened in a moment. A most remarkable moment. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with the word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. 
He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. Fourth thing about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal God who created all things and entered the world he created. You see, everything that you and I hold dear in the gospel is meaningless if Jesus didn't become a man. I mean, think about it. It was his sinless life that qualified him as our substitute on the cross. Had there not been the incarnation, there would have been no sinless life. It was the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross that paid the, 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 the atonement for our sins, where he stood in as our substitutionary atonement. Had there not been the incarnation, had he not come, there would have been no sacrificial death. It is the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that sealed our salvation and guaranteed our eternity. But had he not come, there would be no victorious resurrection. But the good news is, Jesus, the eternal God that created all things, entered the world he created. Three important phrases. Number one, the word became flesh. Linsky says, it means that the word did not cease to be what it was before, but it became what it was not before, flesh. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternally God, but in eternity, he was not human. At a point in time, Jesus took on humanity for us. The word became flesh. God became a man. The infinite became finite. Eternity wrapped itself in time. The invisible became visible. The creator stepped into his creation. God became a man and yet continued to be fully God. Brian Loritz, my buddy, my pastor friend, says it this way. Jesus is fully God and fully man without mixture. He is 100% God and he is 100% man. He says he's as much man, it's as if he were not God at all, and he's as much God, it's as though he were not man at all. Theologians call it the hypostatic union. He is the God-man. Jesus Fully God and fully man, the Word became flesh. But look at the second phrase. The Word dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the Greek word skeneo. We get an English word from it. It's the word skin. Skeneo, skin. It literally means to, to pitch one's tent. To choose to live. It means that Jesus became a man and he lived as we live. And the implication is Jesus took skin on. And you've heard me say this many times, but it's just the truth. Jesus is all that God is with skin on. Meaning it forever answers the question, what is God like? People sometimes say, man, can you do, well, what is God like? Listen, there's an easy answer to that question. Jesus. Jesus is all that God is with skin on. Tim Keller said it this way. 
He said the incarnation did not happen merely to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near so he can be with us and we with him. At a point in human history, God clothed himself in humanity and he lived among us. Think about it. What if we announced next weekend God is coming to church. Now, I understand every weekend when we gather. We prayed it back here tonight before we started this service. We prayed, God, would you manifest, God manifest his presence among us. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus put on a body and showed up. Like, he walked into the synagogue, sat down like everybody else. He dwelt among us. God lived among us. And here's the third phrase. John said, we have seen his glory. In the Greek language in the New Testament, there are multiple phrases, that tra- multiple words that translate into the English language as to see or saw or seen. One of those words is the word blepo. It just means to see it. It just passed by in front of your eyes. Multiple words. This particular word is the Greek word theomai. We get our English word theater from it. It means to watch to observe all the detail, and to draw a conclusion. It's what you do when you go to the movie, when you go to a play. You you watch it scene by scene play out on the screen, and at the end of the movie, you draw a conclusion about the story in which you have been watching. John said, for three and a half years, we watched him. We saw every time he healed somebody. We saw every sermon that he preached. We listened to every word that he spoke. We we saw him eat. We saw him sleep. We watched him pray. And John said, after three and a half years of living life with this one named Jesus, God in the flesh, we only have one conclusion, and here it is. Glory. Glory. The glory of God has come to live among us. Here's the last thing. Jesus is the eternal God who created all things and entered the world that he created that we might know him. Every religion in the world, if you sum it up, basically, is this picture. God is at the top of the mountain. And you and I, by whatever path we choose, are trying to work our way up the mountain to God. The story of the incarnation says just the opposite. Yeah, God's at the top of the mountain and we're at the bottom, but here's the deal. There wasn't a way for us to get to him. So here's what he did. God came down the mountain to get us. God condescended from glory, stepped out of eternity, stepped into time, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, offered his body on a cross for our sins, rose again from the dead so that you and I could come to know him. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus made that statement. 
towards the end of his life, on the last evening before he was crucified, Jesus made this statement in John 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way. What way? The way to God. I am the truth. What truth? The truth about God. I am the life. What life? (laughs) The life of God. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth about God. Jesus is the very life of God. Listen, because of that, what Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. We're celebrating this month with people all over the world the fact that Jesus is the eternal God who created all things, who came into this world so that we could know We're about to respond to that truth. And there are two calls to response this weekend. First of all, if you're here today and you've never surrendered the control of your life to Jesus, you don't know what it is to have a personal relationship with God. Maybe you didn't understand this truth about Jesus. You just thought Jesus was one of many ways to get to learn about God. But but for today, for the first time, you realize, man, Jesus is more than just a way. He's the way. He's the only way. Jesus is God who came because he loved you, died on a cross, took your sin on himself. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with God, to be forgiven of your sin and to know that your eternity is secure in him, the way I want you to respond today is I want you to surrender the control of your life to Jesus. So how do you do that? By faith. You just come to the place in your own life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now in your seat where you are. You can just bow your head and you can begin to cry out to God and say, God, I realize, Jesus, you are God, that you died for my sin. And you can, by faith, believe in Jesus. Or in just a few moments, we're going to sing a song and we'll stand and there'll be pastors here at the front. And you can come to one of those pastors and say to them, man, I need to talk to somebody about how I can know Jesus personally. That's the first way you can respond. Those that don't know Christ, I want you to come to know Him today by surrendering your life to Him in faith. But there's a second way we're going to respond. What I've been teaching you today is about the incarnation, the fact that God became a man. Jesus gave to the church two practices that celebrate the gospel. One of them we practice a lot here at Hope Church. It's called baptism. When people are baptized, Jesus said that we're to practice that as a church, to, to be a reminder of the gospel and a testimony of lives that are being changed. But there's a second practice that he gave us as the church, and it's called the Lord's Supper or communion. We're going to respond to what we've heard this weekend by celebrating communion together. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 23, Paul writes about it and he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Communion is the celebration of the totality of the gospel. 
It's not a means of grace by which we experience the grace of God in our lives, but it is a a moment for us to celebrate the grace that we've experienced in Christ. He says, first of all, there's the bread. The bread is a symbol of everything I've talked about this weekend. It's Jesus taking on human flesh. The eternal one chose to put a body on himself to become a man and to live among us. 